Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies. Thanks for joining me today for AOA. Hey, on the commodity markets, my goodness, they are in the green. We're going to be talking grains and livestock with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to talk about some of the changes coming for mid-sized concentrated animal feeding operators. Recently had the EPA make some changes, impacts how you can qualify for loans. We'll talk with Mary Thomas Hart, the chief counsel at NCBA about that. Before segment three, we're going to take our focus to the National Farmers Union. About a month ago, they had their national convention. They're preparing for the week ahead of Farm Bill Committee meetings, and we'll be talking with Mike Strands, their vice president of advocacy here in just a little bit on AOA. Before we get into all of that, however, let's get into these commodity markets. Dwayne, we've got a couple compelling stories, one on the grain side with the supply and demand estimates coming from USDA later today, another on the cattle side as that rally continues. I want to start with grains here this morning. It looks like the market's anticipating a bit of a bullish WASD later today, huh? It is, especially in the soybean side of things, and that's where I'll be watching today as well. You know, the quarterly stocks report showed less corn and soybeans than anticipated. For soybeans, they're probably going to reduce the, the residual uh, supply side of things or increase the residual demand side, you could say, mostly because I think last year's crop size was overestimated a little bit. So the yield was forecasted a little too high, but USA won't make that change till September. So probably going to end up with an ending stock sub 200. And, and that should make the market a little bit nervous. That means we don't have a lot of beans. Now I know Brazil's got a monster crop, right? But gosh, we had a flash sale late last week and the way the market's trading this morning, I kind of wonder if we don't have more export business on the way with us bull spreading pretty hard. Well, Dwayne, with that being the case, that massive amount of unpriced beans in Brazil, 14, 16 cent rally here in the bean market in the U.S., are we going to confront a wall of Brazilian sales here? Uh, yeah, I think no doubt about that. I mean, China's going to buy a lot of Brazilian beans and they're quite a bit cheaper than us. Their basis is uh, record negative right now to the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, but, you know, that's just kind of the way it has to be right now. I, I hear China still wants to buy some of our beans for the reserves because our beans evidently store a little bit better. A little higher oil content than Brazilian beans won't store as well. So, you know, and, and like we said, we don't have a whole lot of extra old crop beans to export out. So kind of feel like, you know, the May contract needs to be above $15 here. And evidently the market agreed with me for once and shot up above there this morning. If we do have some folks with some old crop beans here still on the books, Dwayne, are you making sales in at this point? Well, I, I sure won't argue with the sale at $15 plus. I mean, we've always kind of been targeting that $15.50 area and we touched it once or twice and probably weren't smart enough to dump them all then. But you get back up to those levels and we got to just let it go. The basis will be pretty good for you. Most of the elevators, sadly, have already switched to the July contract, though, to, is what they're watching for. So the basis is going to definitely have to do some work to get it out of the farmer's hands this spring. All right. Well, we've certainly seen some bases doing work throughout the winter season in that old crop corn market. Dwayne, what have you been watching mm -hmm. here recently? Are we still seeing some decent demand for the physical old crop? Well, I think we are. Some rumors started floating around late yesterday and last night that there was some export sales business done, which 
when you think of the trade yesterday, we were bull spread and uh, rallied sharply on the May contract up 10 cents. It kind of would make sense. It didn't see that export sales flash at eight o'clock this morning, but it might be a tomorrow deal. 20 day moving average seemed to find good support, but I'm kind of worried the 100 day moving average up above finds resistance right about where we're at today too. Probably a lot of just choppy trade in the corn market as we're gonna really shift our focus to the US weather and planting progress moving forward. Dwayne, you mentioned WASD expecting a tighter soybean carryout. Are you expecting any major changes on the corn side to this report today? You know, on the corn side, I actually don't. Um, despite the export business we've had recently, it's possible they, they reduce export demand just a little bit to offset maybe a 50 million bushel increase in feed demand. Uh, so at the end, probably no change in the ending stocks. Uh, I know the trade's looking forward to dip down just a little bit, but uh, we might get just a little disappointed on the core number. You know, above 1.3 billion is is adequate. Obviously, we don't have to ration demand. So don't look for any big market movers after the USDA reports. All right. Now, when it comes to rationing demand, Dwayne, we are certainly doing that in the cattle market, continuing to see that cash trade press higher. Futures look like they are in the green here today. What's your sense of this market and this attitude that it has powering into this week? Well, fundamentally, I, I can't find anything bearish in this market. Cash cattle traded uh, negotiated cash to a record last week. Um, we're around 174, I think, on the five state or five state average. So that's very good above the April board, well above the June board. So futures are at a discount, feel like they need to rally. And, you know, yesterday, choice box beef up again. The choice select spread is widening out to $14. So all the fundamental news is bullish. I'm just a touch concerned that the market's a little overbought and, and could correct at any point in time. And obviously we left some gaps last week below the market, but so far this week, this is exactly what the bulls need to see a slow methodical grind higher. And Dwayne, those gaps that were left after that cash market accelerated at the tail end of this last week, they're not too terribly far below where we at today, right? Three or $4 down in the market. You're exactly right. And that's why it makes me just a touch nervous, you know, it, yeah, cash news 174 all the way to 180, but that's last week's news already, Mike. You know, if we were gonna, if we felt like June the June board had to get to 170, we should have done it already. So, if this buying dries up at all, then yeah, the people who watch the markets as far as overbought conditions will probably sell it off and try to at least get it in that gap a little bit. So, wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, Dwayne, feeder cattle outlook. We continue to see that market pressing higher. Feeder cattle sales at sale barns across the country are hot still. Is that, How much more upside could there be in this feeder cattle market to your mind? Boy, that's a great question. I, 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 I guess I'm just going to say higher. You know, everyone's thinking about the old contract highs, right, with feeders. I think it was like that 242 area. Um, so, you know, we're about 20 bucks below that. So obviously, I think we can still get there. Uh, the one day lean uh, or the one day feeder cattle index on Friday was 202 or something like that. Uh, so the five day average is 193 right now. So it's still white hot and going higher. The futures market has cooled off just a little bit, forming almost a, a bit of a double top with March highs. But I don't know. It seems like there's such demand out there. And I keep hearing from everyone again and again, the calves just aren't out there. So <laughs> if that's the case, we can go higher. But remember, we're always the most bullish at the highs. That's a great point. That's a great point. We're always the most bullish when things look like they can never go back down again, but that's not quite how markets work. Dwayne, as you look <laughs> out, we get past the WASD report today. We'll watch this cash trade develop later in the week on the cattle market. What are some other big factors you're watching that growers should pay attention to this week? 
Oh, it's, it's for me, it's shifting all the weather. Um, it was interesting last week, the extended forecast was fairly hot and dry. And, and I think that priced into the market late last week in the corn market, as we dipped back down, looked like we were going to test contract lows and decrease corn. And now this week, you know, it, it, very good week for planning in the majority of the Midwest, but the Western part looks like it's going to get a little bit cooler, a little bit wetter um, in the extended forecast. So all eyes on the weather moving forward, Mike. That's the truth. It's that time of year weather takes center stage. Folks, we've been talking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll talk through some changes coming for regulations of concentrated animal feeding operations here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. The Mosaic Company has introduced two new biological products, Biopath and Powercoat. I caught up with Dion Pierce, product manager at Mosaic at Commodity Classic, to ask him why Mosaic was in the biologicals business. Well, uh, you know, as everybody knows, uh, Mosaic has been a leader in the phosphorus and potash industry for quite some time. Uh, but as we learn more about the soil microbiome, right, and how fertility and microbiology react in the soil, we're kind of taking our focus from a balanced crop nutrition to an advanced crop nutrition understanding. And, and that's our focus moving forward and the reason that we're pulling in and, and moving into the biological market as well. Balanced versus advanced. Dion, could you explain a little bit, what are the distinctions between the two? So a good way to think about it is the relationship between fertility and, and biologicals. Okay, so just as important as uh, you know, fertility is to the plant, it's also to understand that some of those nutrients that are applied are going to become locked up. And you know, when we do mining, right, we're going to take a phosphorus or a potash, we're going to turn that into a prill that a, a grower can use and, and apply to their field. Well, these biologicals kind of work the same way. Uh, they're going to mine the soil and they're going to make those nutrients more available for the plant to utilize when it needs them most. Dion, for farmers who are hearing a lot about biologicals this year, but have never experimented with them on their operation, what's your advice for folks approaching this for the first time? So first, I would look for companies that are very science-based, they're well-respected. When you look at a product and the data behind it, make sure they have more than one or two years and make sure it's not just one or two uh, areas in, in, a, in a certain state. Ask them the question, where does it not work? Nothing works 100% of the time. Give us a hit rate, give us a, you know, what's the positive response rate, where does it work, where it doesn't work, and again, go to a trusted company. Dion, where can our audience go to learn more about these products from Mosaic? Uh, the best place to go would be cropnutrition.com. You can learn about the biologicals and uh, the other performance products from Mosaic. That's Dion Pierce, product manager at the Mosaic Company. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness.
Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to AOA. Thank you so much for staying with us today on the program. We're going to take our focus over to the livestock industry. We heard from Dwayne Bussey there about the enthusiasm in the cattle market right now as it develops, but there are also some challenges developing, particularly for those mid-sized concentrated animal feeding operators might see some tougher standards coming down the pipe. Joining us now for that update is Mary Thomas Hart. She serves as the chief counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about what is proposed here by this changing EPA legal settlement about tightening up the rules on these concentrated animal feeding operations or, or CAFOs. Mary Thomas. Sure, Mike. I think that, you know, that's a great question, great place to start. Just for some background, you know, I think it's important to kind of lay out what what our current structure is, right? So um, animal feeding operations are, are any of those operations across the country that can find livestock for more than 45 days out of the year and have some, you know, kind of more formalized, I guess, structure for feeding and managing waste of those animals, right? So that's just kind of the basic definition of an animal feeding operation for EPA's purposes. Now, large CAFOs, if, if we're talking about cattle operations, so those concentrated cattle operations with more than a thousand head are automatically considered large CAFOs and are subject to Clean Water Act permitting. Um, and medium AFOs, medium animal feeding operations, are those um, operations with anywhere from 300 to 999 head. And the regulations that we're talking about, the proposed changes from EPA, um, I, I think our largest concern is that those have the potential to implicate additional medium animal feeding operations, even though in the past, those medium animal feeding operations really have only been subject to Clean Water Act permitting requirements when they are um, when they are directly discharging to uh, a navigable water, right? Um, and so, to kind of provide so I've provided that kind of baseline EPA definition and, and regulatory standard. Um, but we've also applied the, the kind of CAFO definition or AFO definition um, to a number of other programs across government, right? So in this instance, we're talking about FSA loans and loan guarantees, right? And, and what kind of access our medium AFOs have to that really valuable credit. Um, in the past, those operations have not been subject to environmental review under the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, but the court ruling from last week or a couple weeks ago um, may change that. And it's that court ruling. I think that's, that's so crucial to watch how this issue plays out. Mary Thomas, we saw the EPA actually sued by a number of environmental groups, right, alleging that these uh, their requirements were too uh, lenient? Was that the, the the crux of the case? So it was actually the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And, and it is tough, you know, when we're talking about 
KFOs and, and, you know, applying that acronym across agencies, it, it's certainly easy to kind of get them mixed up. Um, but this is the, you know, USDA FSA loan program, right? So when you go into FSA to get an operating loan, to get, you know, any kind of loan um, the FSA offers, if it's for um, the, the operation of a medium animal feeding operation, in the past, you haven't been subject to what's called NEPA review, right? So um, there haven't been those additional considerations of the environmental impact of the government providing you with that credit. Um, but now, after this court ruling, and, and, you know, kind of to kind of go through the history of, of this case, you know, I think USDA kind of came to this determination without going through the the Administrative Procedure Act's notice and comment period. Um, and so they kind of voluntarily asked the court to, to vacate the rule so that they have another chance to reconsider this standard. Um, you know, hopefully that means that USDA is going to consider going through the formal administrative process and still provide that regulatory exemption for medium animal feeding operations. But we do have a lot of work ahead of us. Absolutely. And I think it's worth noting you are on the beef side, of course, from the NCBA, but this change in definition or this change in rules would impact all livestock species if they were going to be fed in an AFO, right? You're you're exactly right. So, you know, I I'm well acquainted with the numbers, I guess, when it comes to, to beef cattle operations, um, but it would certainly impact dairies, hog operations, and poultry operations, um, both layers and broilers, um, that are, you know, subject to or potentially subject to um, those CAFO regulations at EPA. And, and again, it is kind of odd that, you know, those CAFO regulations can also implicate or, you know, impact your access to credit to you at, at USDA. Um, but I think that, that has that was an attempt to create some consistency across agencies. Um, it's perhaps more confusing than it is, um, you know, easy to understand. Uh, but if you are a medium animal feeding operation, um, potentially subject to some environmental regulation at the EPA, you may also be impacted by this court ruling. Absolutely. Or if you're a person looking to, to add livestock to the family operation, maybe you bring somebody back. This could certainly impact that type of farmer feeding setup, which could uh, look pretty good in this upcoming environment. Mary Thomas, you said something there. Consistency is so hard to come by when it comes from uh, comes from these government agencies. And of course, we're waiting on that when it comes to the waters of the U.S. rule. We'd love to see some consistency on that front. We don't have it yet. We've got the, the disapproval of the most recent Biden rule vetoed. What's next? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, WOTUS is certainly an, an excellent example of not a lot of consistency either between agencies or through administrations. Um, we are still waiting on the Supreme Court. Um, hopefully we will get a ruling from the Supreme Court in the Sackett case in the coming weeks. Um, and I think that will provide a lot of clarity um, when it comes to the application of this most recent Biden administration WOTUS definition. In the meantime, producers in Texas and Idaho are not subject to the Biden rule. They were, um, they're 
protected by a preliminary injunction. Um, there is a pending motion for preliminary injunction in North Dakota, and we're waiting to, to hear from that court. Um, and a motion for preliminary injunction was actually denied in Kentucky last week. So, you know, lots going on in the WOTUS space. Um, and my advice to producers is always, you know, especially this spring, if you're considering any kind of water infrastructure project or, you know, kind of doing any project around a water feature on your property, talk to someone first, ha have have an initial conversation, um, get someone else's opinion on, you know, if there may, may be additional permitting requirements before you before you start that project. Mary Thomas, you mentioned all of the pending legal challenges around WOTUS. There is a lot of them floating out there. Some have seen some forward progress. What happens to those cases when we get the Sackett decision? Do they restart? Do they, what happens? I guess I'm just curious. That's a great question. No, it's going to depend entirely on the substance of the opinion, right? So if the Sackett opinion upholds the significant nexus test, um, then I foresee the rule kind of flying through the court system, right? Because the ultimate question here is, is the legality or the constitutionality of the significant nexus test. And that's something that NCBA and, and other agricultural groups argue is way too vague for any producer to be able to effectively implement on their own, you know, able to effectively manage their own property without having to hire additional consultants and attorneys and, you know, scientists. Um, so, you know, if, if the court upholds the significant nexus test, we probably have a, a conversation about how to best implement um, the Biden administration rule across the country. But if the Supreme Court pulls back on the significant nexus test, then the Biden administration has to take this rule back to the drawing board. And that, in its own way, um, kind of resolves a lot of our litigation. But they could again come back with the same rule, right? And then we'd be in the same boat. Or if there's a Supreme Court distinction, they'd have to throw that significant nexus out. They, yeah. So if a Supreme Court ruling um, in any way pulls back on the significant nexus test, then the Biden administration is going to have to rewrite the rule in a way that complies with that court opinion. Obviously, this is a lot of a lot of prognosticating, a lot of looking into the crystal ball. Um, but I do think that there's some value in in thinking about all the different directions this could go. And you know, I think we've kind of talked internally about you know how to prep for. A Supreme Court opinion, and it's difficult because we don't know. We don't know what the justices are going to write. We have no idea how the vote's going to shake out, and so um, certainly a lot to come in the next few weeks. There sure is, folks. Be watching the news on Monday mornings when the Supreme Court releases their opinions. No doubt, we'll get Mary Thomas on to share her insight when we get that Sackett decision. Mary Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We're going to talk with our friends at the National Farmers Union about their farm bill progress here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org.
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Just 13% of the Kansas winter wheat crop is rated good to excellent this week, while 61% of its crop is rated poor to very poor. Now that gives the wheat state of Kansas the lowest condition index score nationally at 220, which is well below the 293 posted in last year's drought-ridden crop, and even further below the five-year average for the week of 319. The national winter wheat crop rates a condition index score of 276. That's down from 281 a year ago and well below the five-year average for the week at 325. More wheat is failed in the southern plains each week that passes. With more fields passing the point of no return, the focus is also shifting north to the northern plains spring wheat crop, which is just 1% planted currently. A heavy snowpack across much of the spring wheat belt will be rapidly melting this week, pushing rivers above flood stage. And in fact, the National Weather Service projects that the Red River at Fargo, North Dakota, will rise more than 13 feet over the next six days, approaching major flood stage when it does so. Flood stage is at 18 feet, whereas the river is expected to reach nearly 29 by next Monday morning. This would flood much of the basin, comprised of some of the most productive farmland in the eastern Dakotas and western Minnesota. However, much of the Midwest should see a wide open period for doing field work over the next week to 10 days or so. And the spirit of Ukraine is one of optimism, which is what continues to fuel the resiliency of its people through the challenges of war. Now, the Institute of Agrarian Economics predicts that crop production in Ukraine will fall by just 2.1% year-on-year this year, with most of the decline coming in corn and wheat. Spring crop planting is expected to increase by 8.2% this year, offsetting a drop in winter crops, leaving just an insignificant decline in total crop area. Sunflower and soybean planting is expected to rise by 10-12% to this year, replacing winter crops and other summer crops that require higher inputs, like corn. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about the Farm Bill Outlook with the National Farmers Union here in just a moment. Before we do that, we do have an update on the ongoing battle with GMO corn headed into Mexico. Yesterday, it was announced by authorities in Mexico that they are going to put together a working group to investigate the impact of GM corn imports on the country's tortillas. Remember, Mexico has said they want to ban GMO corn imports starting January 1st, 2024, and they're going to be looking at how those imports have impacted, I would imagine, both tortilla pricing and tortilla availability down there in Mexico. As that research comes in, we'll be sure to share it here on the program. But joining us now is Mike Strands. He's the Vice President of Advocacy at the National Farmers Union. And Mike, things are certainly getting active in Washington, D.C., aren't they? They certainly are, Mike, uh, and farm bill season is certainly here. We've got a series of hearings coming up that the Senate Agriculture Committee uh, will be pulling together, it sounds like, in the next few weeks. So it sounds like there'll be conversations about forestry, about crop insurance, about nutrition programs. All of these are coming up here in just the next several weeks. Absolutely. And they're hearing those voices from the heartland. And Mike, I think NFU had your national convention here just a little over a month ago. And now you're bringing those priorities to the Farm Bill discussions. As that Senate Ag Committee gets together, what is NFU bringing to the table this year? Absolutely. Our, our farmer members came together uh, about a month ago in San Francisco and put down on paper the priorities, issues that need to be addressed in this 2023 Farm Bill. Uh, by and large, they can kind of be boiled down into three or four different areas. One, fairness for farmers. This is continuing the work that Farmers Union has been doing for the last couple of years, but really a decade, on competition and fairness in the marketplace. So we've got an opportunity to address that in the Farm Bill. Secondly, we want to make sure that farm programs are helping farmers in times of need, uh, whether that's in making some adjustments to how Title I programs like agriculture risk coverage and price loss coverage work, or if that's on crop insurance, or if that's on uh, permanent disaster relief efforts, uh, we've got to make sure that those programs are working as they, as they should. Thirdly, uh, we've got conservation, climate, and energy. Uh, there's been a lot of work on climate and conservation efforts in the last couple of years through the Inflation Reduction Act. We've got to build on that momentum in the next Farm Bill to make sure We've got voluntary incentive-based ways for farmers to make improvements and to adjust uh, their production methods to make sure we're taking the best care of the environment and adapting and uh, mitigating climate change as we can. So we've got to address that. And then really a fourth bucket that came from our convention discussion was making sure the Farm Bill overall has strong programs but strong support as well by being a Farm Bill for everybody. And we think that's possible not just possible, but essential. That means making sure that nutrition programs work well. We've got farm stress and assistance programs out there and uh, that the Farm Bill helps serve underserved, historically underserved farmers as well. And, you know, it's interesting when we have these Farm Bill discussions, we have the ability to bring up big ideas and to get those conversations started. And one of those big ideas that I know NFU has talked about in the past, Mike, maybe you could give us an update, is adding a competition title to the Farm Bill. Is that something that's uh, gained some traction in D.C. or are the ideas at least starting to spread? That's right. Uh, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, the competition title is something that farmers unions look for in the last several farm bill cycles. Uh, we're looking back through some of our policy documents, and that is definitely not a new idea, but it's picking up some new supporters uh, as we go along this year. 
I think one of the reasons that so many members of Congress want to see a competition title and to bring more fairness and openness into the marketplace is what they saw happen during the height of the pandemic when we had breakdowns in our food system. If we have a more competitive, resilient, and diversified marketplace, we'll be better able to withstand challenges like COVID or other breakdowns in the future. Mike, do you have an ability to give us at least a thumbnail sketch of how that competition title might might work? How do you see it working in the context of an existing farm bill? Sure. So as it stands, the well, I guess the 2018 farm bill had 12 titles. There's no magic or requirement num- required numbers of titles as you go along here. So the competition title uh, could bake in some of the efforts that we've seen uh, across the board on Capitol Hill in the last couple of years, whether that's on making sure the Packers and Stockyards Act is adequately and robustly enforced, or making sure that we've got uh, open and competitive cattle markets. Uh, We saw a lot of discussion about that over the last couple of years. We could build on that. There's new uh, legislative initiatives out there that would dig into better understanding what happens when there isn't a competitive marketplace, and that can help shed light on the issue. Uh, And there's also the need for fair labeling. In order for farmers and ranchers to be competitive, we got to label our products and require that our products are labeled with their country of origin. So uh, we could see country of origin labeling efforts renewed through a competition title. And Mike, I understand the country of origin labeling that is coming back up in Congress separate from the farm bill already. Has NFU engaged on that issue as of yet? Sure. So there's a couple efforts uh, moving right now on labeling. One uh, is the rulemaking process that USDA has started to uh, reform the product of USA labeling standards. Uh, This is the voluntary label that uh, can be affixed to meat products. And as it stands, a a product of USA label can be affixed to a product even if parts of or some of the production steps for that meat uh, took place outside the U.S. USDA is proposing that that label product of USA only be available to meat, meat products that were born, raised, slaughtered, processed, what have you, all within the U.S. So that's one effort. Again, that's a voluntary label that USDA is moving forward on. However, there's the American Beef Labeling Act, which would bring about mandatory country of origin labeling, which is, in fact, what we truly need. And uh, we're hopeful that can keep pushing ahead either through the farm bill or outside of it. All right. We'll continue to watch that. Definitely a lot happening on the livestock side of the ag ledger. I want to bring it back to the priorities, uh, Mike, that you outlined there at the top, those four buckets. And, you know, one that I think is certainly going to get a lot of attention as this year goes on is that conservation climate energy package. There's a lot of stuff in there. Ag is a big component of that. Can you talk about how you see NFU positioning agriculture to, uh, to be successful in that context? Sure. So there's been a couple of marker bills out there already, some pieces of legislation floated by influential members of the agriculture community on Capitol Hill that uh, offer up some good suggestions and frameworks for that. One example is the Agriculture Resilience Act. Uh, Congresswoman Shelley Pingree of Maine has been one of the, uh, the primary leads on that. We've had bipartisan efforts from others on this as well. And the Ag Resilience Act would make sure that Farmers have those tools and resources uh, to combat climate change uh, and to make sure that we're keeping a close eye on greenhouse gas emissions and working to improve soil health. We've got a lot of programs out there in the conservation title 
of the farm mills that are very popular. Uh, but they're also, with that popularity comes a lot of uh, pressure and uh, limited funds are available to help farmers out. So if we can boost some of that up, structure these programs in a way that they make the biggest impact for the most number of farmers and for the environment, we could see some real progress. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see if that progress can happen over this summer. Mike, as these conversations around the Farm Bill are heating up, conversations around the budgetary realities are heating up as well. Does NFU have a sense as to what the baseline might look like for the eventual 2023 mm. Farm Bill? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that uh, we got some initial glances at what projections are for this Farm Bill uh, back in earlier parts of this year. I think in May or June, we'll get the more official Congressional Budget Office projections for the baseline. Uh, I think whatever number we're going to see uh, is likely to be a tight one, and it's going to be difficult uh, to make sure all these priorities that Farmers Union and other groups have put forward can get uh, the funding they need to be successful. However, uh, there's some broader budget conversations going on, too, that could endanger the farm bill, and that's on the debt ceiling. Uh, this is the whole uh, disagreement in Congress over whether or not the U.S. should default on its debt. And the clock is ticking on that. We expect there will be some hard decisions made uh, come the middle of summer. I don't think the decision is that difficult, though. We shouldn't default on our debt. Uh, and Congress needs to take action to ensure that we're not going to run up against those sorts of issues. It would do so much damage to the economy and would harm the farm bill process too for that matter uh, that it would really That's undercut right. any progress we've seen in the last few months all right that would pop up mid-summer just as those discussions are getting hot and heavy in dc could certainly distract folks uh mike while we've got you on the line during a farm bill year of course we talk about a lot of the things we'd like to see improved in agriculture so we can get it into that legislation i'd like to turn that question on its head from your perspective at the nfu are there any recent changes in ag that you feel have been a winner for the industry and you'd like to see them continue? Sure. Well, I think there's been some examples of uh, efforts to provide funding for regional, local, diversified processing options with different uh, owners rather than the, the biggest packing or processing companies or you know, it's having a, a more emphasis at USDA in providing assistance that way. And I think we can look to some of those programs that uh, USDA has run really since the start of the pandemic for some examples and how we can better structure these programs. And so there's some examples there to draw from that we can put into place for this farm bill. The same goes for disaster assistance too. We've got some uh, ways that have worked well that we can learn from in this next farm bill. Absolutely. Let's take the knowledge that we have and improve upon it. We have been talking this morning with Mike Grant, the Vice President of Advocacy at the National Farmers Union. Mike, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Mike. Have a good day. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. 
And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind, a look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially, that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy, think biomass think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the Monthly Grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. In this fifth installment in a six-week series, Nelson Neal, the head of CHS Global Research, describes another trend shaping the future of agriculture. Today, we're talking about renewable energy demand. Nelson, we are seeing more talk about electric vehicles. How could that shift impact agriculture? I think it's more of an evolution versus a revolution. Let's talk gasoline or perhaps a displacement of gasoline and ethanol as a blending component of, of gasoline there in the mid-2000s with the oncoming electric vehicle surge and what that means for corn acres. If you look at some popular private estimates, they would suggest by the year 2030, perhaps 30% of all new vehicle sales will be EVs. Fast forward to 2030 and you assume linear growth in, in EVs up to that 30% mark and you assume 550 gallons of fuel you used per year, and you go through the calculations and you begin to pencil out what that means for acres, it would suggest somewhere between two and two and a half million acres of corn would be displaced by EVs by the year 2030. Certainly a large amount, but not so large as to suggest that it's going to have a significant impact on agriculture. 
Well, Nelson, renewable diesel is also in the news with considerable demand on the West Coast. How is that impacting these markets? It's unusual to have a new demand source show up for any commodity. In agriculture, this is actually going to happen twice. The first was the advent of ethanol. And now upon us today is renewable diesel, regular diesel fuel derived not from a barrel of crude oil, but derived from vegetable feedstocks like soybean oil and other components. That's Nelson Neal, the head of CHS Global Research. Nelson, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We are taking a look at some of the news impacting the world of agriculture. And later on today, USDA will drop a fresh update for us in that USDA World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Now, as we talked to uh, Dwayne Bussey this morning, their April report will be incorporating the data from the quarterly grain stocks estimates uh, that were out at the tail end of March. So as Dwayne mentioned, we are expecting to see a little bit tighter soybean stock carry out. Uh, that should be coming out later on today. Analyst expectations do have a range right now of 210 to 201 million bushels of soybean carry out uh, expected after today's report. As Dwayne mentioned, it might come in under 200 by the time they get finished with their calculations. On the corn side of the ledger, we are seeing some new concerns develop there. Here, the big worry or the big watch, I suppose, for today's report is going to be what happens in South America. Of course, they are getting in Brazil that second crop corn in the ground. They're close to wrapping up that second season. And it is expected to see that Brazilian crop grow from an already record high 125 million metric tons up 1.4 million metric tons to 126. Just to put it in perspective, that would be just shy of 5 billion bushels of Brazilian corn crop coming later on today. Um, and that is that comes out at 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning. We'll get that update tomorrow on the program. We'll be talking with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at Stonex, breaking down those numbers, and we'll see how the market has reacted to these USDA adjustments. Well, the four principal crops aren't the only ones we're keeping an eye on here in this country. We're also watching a number of the specialty crops because those markets have really seen things shake up after that Russian invasion of Ukraine. One of the markets that was most impacted by that invasion, and it's not the wheat market, although on a dollar basis, that might have had a bigger impact. But one of the ones most impacted was soy, or excuse me, sunflower oil. Ukraine is one of the world's largest sunflower producers. And prior to the war, they were the world's largest soy sunflower oil exporter. We've talked with our friends at the National Sunflower Association here in this country. 2023, 2022 rather, was a big year for soy uh, sunflower production here in America. And the good news is 
global production is still expected to be down. However, Ukrainian production is expected to start increasing. It's worth noting the Ukrainian authorities did not issue a forecast at all for sunflower production in this last year. They did not. Uh, we just threw that one out for the record keeping. So what they're expecting to see is an 11% rise in the 23-24 soybean season, oil season, coming after that 2021 season. They, this increase in production is a little bit of a surprise given the devastation across so much of uh, Ukrainian farm country. However, it's being driven because the sunflower seed harvest in 2023 is expected to be relatively strong and importantly, oil seed exports are slowing down out of Ukraine. So what's happening is some of those sunflower stocks that weren't sold prior to the invasion, they have slowly been moving off the books and now we've got a chance that they could all come on pretty quickly. And grain moving out of Ukraine is really challenging Europe's agricultural cohesion. Over the past week, we have seen two countries, Poland and now, excuse me, Romania, and now Poland, both have said they are going to halt grain imports into their countries out of Ukraine. This has been quite a story in Poland as that grain corridor opened up, allowing Ukrainian farmers to sell their wheat and other crops into the Polish market. It was good for them, provided an, an, uh, an exit from the Ukraine uh, for those growers. However, the Polish farmers then had to deal with this influx of foreign grain. And they have been very frustrated by this. It has lowered prices in both Poland and Romania for their local farmers, and it has created quite a bit of a stink. A week ago, Poland's former ag minister resigned because the EU would not allow that country to stop imports of Ukrainian grain. Their new ag minister, who was uh, moved into the position last Thursday, on Friday, Robert Tellis, their new minister, announced that Poland will temporarily stop importing Ukrainian grain. He said, quote, we agreed to limit and for now halt exports into Poland so that Ukraine, excuse me, transit will be allowed, but it will be closely monitored in both countries so that Ukraine grain doesn't stay in Poland. They're fine with the grain export corridor as long as it is just a corridor moving grain to its final destination. More news coming out of the fertilizer industry. Brazil Potash, a Canadian potash miner, has developed a property in Brazil, and it's located in the Amazon rainforest, and it is a big potash project. Two and a half billion dollar potash mine currently uh, under construction. And it's worth noting that since it is in the Amazon, it is happening on the grounds of the Mura indigenous people. And uh, because of the constitution of Brazil, they have a right to be consulted and they are not thrilled with this mine. The Canadian company does say they're going to go ahead, continue pushing ahead, explaining the project to locals and trying to win over support. As of now, they are working to get this built, and they do say that they are complying with court orders to stay out of Murrah lands for the time being. Looking ahead to what could be coming a little bit later on, we've got more challenges for immigration. H-2A visas are in the news because a hog confinement builder was using H-2A visas for his construction workers building hog confinements. This case was recently taken uh, to the Supreme Court, and the 
guy who was using the H-2A visa workers, his argument is, hey, we're here building ag buildings. Therefore, this is ag work. It's not construction. It's agriculture. Well, NPPC has signed on to a brief supporting the guy who was using the H-2A visas, Signet Builders, the name of that company. And we'll see how much traction this can generate in the world of ag law. Will this allow these foreign workers to continue performing this kind of agricultural work here in the United States? Time will tell, I suppose. Folks, thanks so much for tuning into AOA today. Be sure to join us tomorrow. We'll break down the market's response to today's world agricultural supply and demand estimates. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.